So they're all congratulating me and they're saying, hey, doctor, now that you've got this new research degree, why don't you do some research on why we're losing pilots to the airlines? And then I presented the results at base in 2017. And all of a sudden, I was an expert. I was the guy people called to say, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How do we retain our people? What do we pay our people? You're listening to the Pilot Money Podcast, the show dedicated to guiding professional pilots towards a future of financial success and stability. Fly along with your host, Timothy P. Pope, as he provides financial planning insights and answers to your burning questions and dives into real-life stories from fellow pilots who share their successes and cautionary tales. The Pilot Money Podcast takes off now. Welcome back and welcome aboard, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Pilot Money Podcast. My name is Timothy P. Pope. I'm a certified financial planner specializing in the planning needs of the professional pilot. We are going to continue the compensation conversation. But before we do, I want to say thank you. We launched this show just weeks ago, and it's been well-received by both veteran pilots and new pilots alike. So your warm reception has already made this show an early success, and we want to say thank you. So at the end of the day, this show is about you. We want to give you useful financial planning information that you can use as a professional pilot. So if you have topics that you'd like to hear in a future episode, drop us a note at info at pilotmoneypodcast.com. Or if you have questions about things going on in your financial life that you want to hear our thoughts on, again, drop us a note info at pilotmoneypodcast.com. So getting back to the conversation at hand, business aviation pilots, this one is for you. We're talking about business aviation compensation with Dr. Christopher Boyhill. Now in the past, as a business aviation pilot, trying to value your skills in the marketplace and come up with quantitatively what they were worth could be considered the wild, wild west. It wasn't as easy as the airlines. In fact, it was rather opaque. You know, with the airlines, you just read the contract. You know what equipment you're flying. You know what seat you're sitting in. You know the longevity that you have with the company. And bam, that's your rate. But in business aviation, there are so many more factors than that. And so Dr. Broyhill joins me today to discuss the state of business aviation compensation, to discuss the challenges the industry is seeing right now, and how you, the pilot at home, can leverage data to make sure that you're being compensated appropriately. So with over 20 years in the military flying fighter jets and over 20 years in business aviation, Dr. Broyhill has a PhD in statistics, so he knows what he's talking about. So with that, let's jump into this conversation about business aviation compensation. Dr. Broyhill, welcome to the Pilot Money Podcast. It's fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Let's start with your aviation background. Tell us where you've been and where you are now. Graduated from the Air Force Academy a long time ago. And yes, there were jet engines then. So I went to the Air Force. I was a fighter pilot. I got to fly the F-16 and the A-10. Got to fly the A-10 during the Cold War in Europe, which is pretty cool because I saw most of what was in Western Europe at 500 to 250 feet. So that was really cool. And then um, held a variety of leadership positions. As I was nearing the end of my Air Force career, I was stationed at Luke Air Force Base, which is in Phoenix, Arizona. And a lot of the people that I worked with who were retiring were getting out of the Air Force and they're going to Southwest Airlines. I see them in the gym. They come back on base, even though they retired and hit the gym and that sort of thing. And 
And I would talk to them about, hey, what's life like at Southwest? Because back in those days, getting hired at Southwest was pretty easy. You had to pay for your own type rating. But if you knew somebody there, you were hired. It was just pretty much as a good old boy network, I guess. So they talked to me about Southwest. And the more they talked about it, the more it just sounded freaking boring to me. I mean, just same way, same day, you know. Plus, I wasn't sure I could take the pay cut because at that point, you had to start off at FO rate wages, which are like 40 grand. And I was just thinking, maybe there's another way to do this follow-on aviation thing. There was a church I attended in Kansas City, and one of the parishioners there was a wealthy individual. His name was Wayne, and Wayne had a Saberliner 65. And I asked him, I said, Wayne, can I just write seat for you for a little while and just see what this business aviation thing was all about? And I did that, and I was hooked. Never looked back. To me, being a business jet pilot was a lot more like being a fighter pilot because a lot of the decisions were left up to you, and uh, you got to kind of make your own way in the heat of battle, so to speak. And I spent over 22 years in business aviation. I've held a variety of leadership positions, probably the most notable of which was director of aviation for a large Fortune 100 company in the Midwest. It was an energy company. And we started with nothing and nobody. And we made it up to four jets, a helicopter, two locations, 30 plus people in about four years. So it was a pretty wild ride. Wow. Along the way, because I'm a bit of a masochist, I decided to pursue a PhD in aviation from Embry-Riddle. <laughs> I took the long course. I did one course a semester. And part of the rigor of that syllabus was Embry-Riddle was very specific. PhD is a research degree. I didn't know that until I got into it. So they want to teach you how to do scholarly research. To do scholarly research, you have to develop survey instruments and ways to measure things. And that involved four doctoral-level courses in statistics. Uh, which I went into kicking and screaming and, and maybe even crying a bit and came out with a really profound knowledge of what that looks like and, and how it can help you. So at the same time, I'm on the Business Aviation Management Committee at the NBAA. And uh, I come back from defending my dissertation in the summer of uh, 2016, drove down to Miami. I'd done the dissertation defense in Daytona. I drove down to Miami where the BMC, the B Business Aviation Management Committee, was having its annual meeting. So they're all congratulating me and they're saying, hey, doctor, now that you've got this new research degree, why don't you do some research on why we're losing pilots to the airlines? And we put together, we did it in a classic fashion. I developed a focus group. We asked questions. We developed a survey. And then I presented the results at base in 2017. And all of a sudden, I was an expert. I was the guy people called to say, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How do we retain our people? What do we pay our people? And the pay piece was something that, as a former aviation leader, I kind of knew about, but I hadn't gotten into the nuts and bolts of, at least not to the level I probably should have. And so I had to develop a way to do customized research for flight departments and be able to defend recommendations I made for them about what compensation levels should look like. And I developed a proprietary mechanism to do that. And here I am six years later, and I've done... I'm almost starting to lose count. Well over 250 studies of individual flight departments, many of them with names you'd recognize. Car rental companies, coffee companies, apparel companies, I mean, you name it. And the results in the way we have done the studies has stood the test of compensation professionals, executives, aviation managers, and it's held up. And now I've got the AirCop calculator, which is kind of a do-it-yourself thing where I give you a subscription, you go in, run your reports, or I can run them for you. And then I also do customized compensation studies for people that need kind of a deep dive. And it's taken on a life of its own. I was a full-time pilot until September of this year. And now the level of work in the compensation field has reached a place where I can't do that anymore. I have to devote full-time to doing the compensation thing. And I love it. 
I knew I was kind of a closet numbers geek when I was in fighter weapons school and flying the A-10. The A-10 did not have a computing bomb site when I started to fly it. So we were dropping bombs like they did in World War II. You had to arrive at the right combination of dive angle, airspeed, altitude, and bomb release. And this was before computers. We had to kind of develop our own site settings. So there's a, like a many-page worksheet where you went through all the books and you did all the numbers. I always liked that. I liked that a lot. And then I found myself as I'm getting into these spreadsheets and Excel-wise trying to find ways to parse the numbers to help people get paid to what they need to get paid that I'm rediscovering my closet geek. I really like it. You know, yes, it's making money for me, but the fact that it's also a service to the industry is a big deal. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, thank you for doing this. Nobody else is doing this kind of work. Thank you for doing this. So military, 22 years business aviation, picked up a PhD, went kicking and screaming in statistics, exited that and realized that you actually enjoyed it. And then necessity is the mother of all inventions got tapped to solve one problem. And then you let the data speak for itself. So you are the expert when it comes to business aviation compensation. So let's let's unravel a couple of things. What's happening in the business aviation compensation landscape right now? I tracked the data back as far as 2014 at the moment, but basically pays going up across the board. And the rate at which it goes up varies. Year 2022 over 2023, across multiple surveys, the average rate of pay across the 14 positions that I track went up 6.5%. Now, why is that notable? Some of the indices that I keep track of, and in fact, I included the calculator, uh, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics maintains a stat on the increase of private industry compensation uh, across the U.S. for all industries that aren't the government, essentially. And that rate has only been approximately 4 to 4.8%. So business aviation wage growth is outpacing that in the economy by 1% to 2%, which is significant in, from an overall perspective. Was that annualized since 2014? That's just from 2022 to 2023. Okay. The rates for the different positions vary. I think pilots went up something from 2014, like 53% pay increase since 2014. The mechanics only went up about 40%. I think flight attendants went up 20 or 30%. I don't have the data in front of me. But the point is the wage increases have been significant. From 2016 to 2020, I'm going to have to discuss the reasons why inflation was very low. And then we hit 2020, 2021, and inflation started to skyrocket. But even during the periods of low inflation, business aviation compensation was increasing. Part of it is because a rising tide floats all boats. We've heard a lot in the news about the pilot shortage, and there are those who argue that there is one or there isn't one. All I can tell you from that perspective is I just look at the laws of supply and demand, and the law of supply and demand tells us we have a shortage of pilots. So the reason is pilot compensation has been drastically increasing for some time, particularly in the airlines. The airlines have been paying more people, hiring more pilots, and being willing to pay them more. So when I talk to people I do consulting work for, they say, it's crazy that pilots are making these kind of wages. And what I tell them is, is it right that a, a sports star can make tens or hundreds of millions of dollars for catching a ball or throwing a ball or, or whatever it is that they do? And the answer is, it's the market. It's what the market will bear. And that's where we are with the pilot gain right now. It's what the market will bear. And the market will bear higher pilot wages because the airlines are paying them. Now, having said that, you know, pilots aren't the only people in corporate aviation operators, but as pilot wages begin to increase, the company can't just increase pilot wages without increasing the wages of other people. So I think that's what I mean when I say the rising tide flows all boats. I think everybody's wages are, are rising along with the pilots as a function of that. So that's been part of it. On that point, the airlines are in a transportation business. 
right? But if you're in the business aviation, you might be in the pharmaceutical business, you might be in retail, you name it. So when you think about, hey, the compensation has been rising, is there a level where you anticipate it to level off? We all see the studies about how many pilots we're going to need by 2050 and so on and so forth. What do you project when you think about compensation for business aviation pilots in the future? I think it's going to continue to increase for some period of time. I don't know what that's going to look like. I have a good friend and colleague named Cheryl Barden, and Cheryl does work for Aviation Personnel International. She and I work together very often, and this is a discussion she and I often have. You know, how much is enough? You know, we have the show me the money on one side, and then you've got the how much is enough on the other. And it's my sincere hope, and I've had this conversation with many people, that we don't put ourselves out of business. Sometimes unions could put companies out of business because they drive the costs up so high that the companies say, we just can't afford to do business anymore. You're making our product too expensive. I hope in the business aviation world, we don't do that to ourselves. So the reason business aviation exists on the corporate side is because we facilitate transportation for corporate executives and sometimes just normal people in the company so that they can get better use of their time on behalf of the company. And it's kind of funny because whenever I and flying on the airlines, which I do a lot of these days, and something goes wrong with my flight or I get delayed and it sucks, I kind of embrace the suck. Because if you embrace the suck, you realize that the more it sucks, it's job security for, for us in business aviation. But at some point, if the costs continue to rise, the CFOs of these companies or whatever might just go, you know what? It's reached a place where we can't afford it anymore. Or they might transition from in-house flight departments to doing charter or fractional operators. So I, I think it's not a free-for-all. When I prescribe compensation advice for people, I tell them, you know, it's a business decision at the end of the day. The way that the pilot market is now, especially, is that particularly for airplanes like the G650, G600, Global 7500, airplanes like this, uh, the market for those people that are qualified and current in those airplanes is so high that they can go from job to job and get paid astronomical wages to fly those airplanes. At some point, I think it's going to stop. When you say astronomical wages, give me an example. So recently I did a comp study for a flight department for a high net worth individual, and they were operating G650s. And they had two of their personnel swiped by a management company, to, and the base salary was a number with a three in front of it, and then low threes, just to show up and fly the airplane, not to run the department, not to be a chief pilot, just to show up and fly the airplane. And that was the base compensation, not even the bonus, you know, or, or that sort of thing. Now, the one caveat in this equation is the effect of high net worth individuals on the compensation market, particularly for pilots. Because what will happen is you got Jill or Joe Millionaire, I should say billionaire, and they'll go buy themselves a brand new shiny jet and they'll, you know, they'll be talking to their broker or their, their consulting firm and say, well, any pilots now? Well, there aren't any because they're all working for companies or you know, we can't get them into school for like a year or so. And they'll say, I don't care. I'll pay whatever. Get them for me. And so They'll start poaching people and say, what happened to this operation that I was working for? They'll just basically say, hey, and they'll just start throwing big numbers at them. And eventually somebody will say yes. And once you do that, then the data gets influenced and the data starts creeping up and that's where it affects the world I live in. So here's a, an example. So from 22 to 23, just the wages for captains at the 50th percentile, the middle of the data set for flying the, the nicer, sexier airplanes went up about 12 grand. That's really not that much in the big scheme of things. However, the wages for pilots in the 75th percentile, the higher end of the scale, went up $34,000.
Why is that? Because the people that can afford to pay at the higher end of the scale were paying at the higher end of the scale because they knew they could get the people they wanted to get. That's the wealthy individuals that you're talking about. Typically, yes. And here's another interesting thing. So the survey data I use in the Aircom calculator, I primarily use two surveys. One is the MBAA survey and the other is the Gallagher survey. But for people who are participants in the IBM Perlmeyer survey, IBM Perlmeyer survey has been around a long time. It was invented when uh, Jeff Lee was the director of aviation for IBM and Don Menard was his chief pilot. And they wanted a compensation survey that focused on big company flight departments, flight departments that look like them. It's a great instrument. And I know the people who put it together very well. I have a version of the calculator that uses just NBAA and Gallagher, and then a version of the calculator that uses NBA, Gallagher, and the IBM survey. It used to be that if I had a data point on the side of the NBAA and Gallagher survey, and then I looked at the corresponding data point on the one with all three, that data point would move to the right. Compensation would be higher. Not anymore, particularly for positions like captains. Sometimes it doesn't move at all. Sometimes when I include that data, it moves left because NBAA captures all the high net worth individuals. That's where those flight departments live. So those are the people that are skewing the data. Let's talk about the air comp calculator and how the professional pilot can use it. We always compare things, you know, so when we're talking about compensation, we're going to compare, okay, what's business aviation doing? What's the airline doing? The airlines, you can see it. Your union negotiates the compensation. It's all laid out. Business aviation is like the wild, wild west before the air comp calculator, I would imagine. You're exactly right. This is a separate but related issue in terms of like personnel retention. And this is a discussion I often have with people I do work for. One of the things we really stink at in business aviation is people don't have a path. In the military, you had a path. If you wanted to go do this or do that, you could see your pay path along the years. If you would go up in rank and stay longevity-wise, you could see where your compensation would be. But you had a clearly delineated career path you could take. In the airlines, same thing. If I want to spend my life as an FO, I can be a narrow-body FO, I can get up to wide-body FO, then an international wide-body FO, or I can be a captain. But regardless of the path you choose, you can parse the data and you can figure out, here's what I'll be making. And in business aviation, we don't do any of that. So my goal to do the AirCop calculator was twofold. Number one, I wanted to give aviation managers the ability to cross-check the things they were hearing from their HR cop people and say, well, here's what the data is saying. And here's what you're saying. Let's see if we can find a happy medium. The irony there is guess who my largest growing clientele is now? HR comp people from these, they're coming to me and they're saying, we just can't get into the granularity of this data anymore. We need help. And so I've been providing that as well. But the greatest untapped resource I have is just the individual professionals and that's growing. But yeah, oftentimes if somebody's trying to negotiate for a position or they're being offered a position or they want to check the compensation levels of their current position, They'll come to me and run a single report, cost them about 300 bucks, and then they get a statistically driven scientific set of compensation ranges that will stand the test of time. And the thing about it is, as the data geek, I have no stake in the outcome. I have no dog in the fight. I'm a data guy. The data is a data. And the level of comp that you're looking at may be low or it may be fantastic, but I don't care. The data is a data and I just map it out versus what the data says. And what you do with that is your own affair. But the calculator tracks multiple pilot positions, it tracks director positions, it tracks maintenance positions, director of aviation or director of maintenance, maintenance technician, schedulers, flight attendants. So any of these types of professionals can come to the calculator and, and determine if what they're being paid is reasonable versus the market. So it's, it's my goal to help them. So for folks that are looking to say, hey, you know what, business aviation compensation is rising. Number one, I don't know if I'm making market rate right now, but two, I'm thinking about making a change. 
they can use the calculator to go in with eyes wide open to understand what kind of compensation they should be able to command. Absolutely true. And oftentimes people will do exactly what you said. They want to get a compensation level for where they're at, but maybe somebody's offering them a job at a different platform, like across the ramp or whatever. And they say, well, I make more money if I move up to this type of airplane. Now, usually I'll get an order by email. And if the jet types are similar or they're in the same class and the level of compensation is such that it's not going to make a difference, I'm not going to take extra money from them for two reports that are essentially going to generate the same results. I'll send them an email back or something and say, no, you don't really need this. They're the same type of airplane, so you will not realize a compensation increase unless that company has a different compensation philosophy, which sometimes happens. Not everybody has a PhD in stats, right? So these reports that the air comp calculator produces, is there guidelines on how to read it? Do they get time with you to review it or your staff or what does that look like? I'm always available to answer questions about the reports. If people like email me or they want a quick phone call, I'm always available to do that. Now, if they want a formal presentation, like of me to their front of the HR people, which some people have wanted, or they want a formal consultation, that's different. But to answer a question or two about the way things are, yeah, that's not a problem at all. The reports at the end of them have a methodology section where I discuss how the numbers are derived. So if, if somebody says, well, where does this guy get the numbers? They can just say, here, here's where he gets the numbers. And usually that answers a lot of the questions before they're even asked. That makes a lot of sense. So just read the report. <laughs> just read it. And then I'll walk you Pretty through Pretty much. It. Now, I have a question as a financial planner for professional pilots, right? Does the report simply look at cash? Does it look at 401k? Does it look at a lot of business aviations? Depending on the department, you might be looking at stock or equity compensation as well. Obviously, bonus, things like that. What all factors of compensation does it consider? Right now, the calculator will look at base salary. It'll look at total cash, cash only total cash with 401k, and the 401k calculator will set the limits based on what the person's age is. One of the questions I ask is, are you 50 or older? And why do you have to ask that? Well, that's where the 401k limit changes. And the calculator assumes that a person will contribute the max they can to their 401k. And then the company's contribution will, will then appear correspondingly. And then finally, it looks at total compensation based on benefits load. Now, because the MBAA survey has just recently come out with the ability to measure long-term incentive payments and retention bonuses. Now, if I do deep dive studies, I can do direct compensation. To your point, I can measure the face value of what you're being given long-term incentive-wise, restricted stock units, stock options, that sort of thing. I can measure that against where the compensation ranges are or where they should be. I can do that now. In the past, I couldn't, but now I can. That is really valuable. But yeah, it is, but that's for deep dive. I haven't found a way to put that into the calculator yet. That, that's like changing the whole DNA of the thing, which required major revision. Maybe at some point it'll get there. I'm going to need a few more years of data. Okay, let's talk about the pilot who wants to check their compensation or take advantage of rising compensation, but may not necessarily want to move. Maybe they want to stay in the same flight department. How do you see that playing out? This kind of goes into the captain versus senior captain debate and also touches on something, the subject of pay bans which occurs often in corporate flight departments. So people will come to ask me, what's the difference between a captain and a senior captain? And I'll go, what do you want it to be? Because that's really where you draw the line. What do you want the difference to be? I think where it started from long ago and far away was that companies who have very rigid base salary structures, if a pilot reached the top of one pay band and they wanted to give him or her a merit increase, but they're going to hit the top of the band, they needed to promote that person into the next higher grade so that's what a senior captain began. But now we've attached all these other things to it. We've attached, uh, well, it could be somebody who has an additional level of responsibility, as somebody who's been at the company longer, somebody who's been in the industry longer, 
So it's come to meet all of these different things. So interestingly, NBAA is captain and senior captain. In the Gallagher survey, you've got captain, senior captain, and captain all incumbents. And the captain all incumbents grade exists because there's a lot of companies who just go, we're not doing this captain, senior captain thing. We pay him what we pay him. We just call him a captain and that's it. And then you've got the IBM Perlmire survey where they don't have such a thing as senior captain. They've got captain and then they've got standards captain. They've got safety captain. They've got assistant chief pilot. They don't have senior captain because they recognize that it's very arbitrary. So they've set you know different levels. Now, as we talk about a pilot wanting to stay in the same flight department and perhaps wanting to progress, that can get needlessly difficult. So if you're working for a wealthy individual and your flight department is like 10 people, you want to raise and the data justifies it and the director of aviation and the owner are all on board with it. They just give you a raise. That's not an issue. But if you're working at a corporation, you often can get to that those salary bands we were talking about a moment ago. I'll give you a very interesting story about that. I was at a recent conference and I was a director of aviation for a major company whose name you would recognize. And he said, I had a guy come to me with a job offer letter in his hand from an operator down the ramp who was willing to pay him $30,000 more to fly an airplane that was the same jet, uh, fly approximately the same schedule for a company of approximately the same status. So basically 30 grand for doing the same thing. And he goes, but I want to stay here. I like you guys. I don't want to go anywhere. Can you help me out? So the director of aviation goes to his HR comp people and he says, this guy you know, I'm going to lose him if I can't pay him more. And the HR call person says, well, he's at the top of his band and we can't do anything. And the director says he's got an offer letter in his hand for $30,000 more. And the HR person says, let me see that. Okay, now, yeah, we could pay him 30 grand more because that comes out of the retention budget. That's different money. And I'm going, what kind of message are we sending where a person has to have one foot out the door before we're going to give him a raise? So to circle back, the pay band thing, I've had flight departments develop standalone pay structures just for the flight department because that's what they needed to do to keep their people. But if a person wants to progress in their flight department and they need a promotion to get there, often that requires the director or whomever is in charge to change the org allocation and the org personnel structure of the department, which requires approval up the chain. So I guess what I'm trying to say is operators who are work for corporations, sometimes we make that process incredibly difficult and tedious. And I don't think it needs to be that way. It's just kind of, we've kind of hamstrung ourselves into these rigid structures and we've made it difficult. You know, we basically are shooting ourselves in the foot when it comes to retaining our own people. And hence the story I just told you. So for the pilot at home listening, if it gets difficult, the data might suggest, hey, that you can move down the ramp or you can go somewhere else and, and command what you need to. It's kind of like the airline thing. A lot of people will cross their arms and say, we're not going to lose people to the airlines. And I said, no, you might not. But you might lose them to the operator next door who has lost people to the airlines. Because that's the way this works. We all have an airline problem. People are going. It's just a question of where you're going to fill the gaps. But yes, you've got people that are shopping it. So it used to be that you would hear these anecdotal stories about Joe across the ramp is working for this other company and they're paying him 20 or 30 grand more. Those stories aren't anecdotal anymore. They're real because people are throwing money at the problem. And that's the world we're living in. That's what we're dealing with. I mean, I've had people use the data from the calculator to build standalone pay structures. In fact, I have built pay scales for companies. The success story that I've got involved a company that operated super midsize airplanes and then airplanes that are the premium long range airplanes. And what they wanted to do was they wanted me to build pay scales that start pilots, you know, as a captain in the smaller airplane and work their way all up to like senior captain, if you will, in the larger airplane and what that looks like in between. And as they go up the ladder, what their pay scale looks like. It turns out that the director of aviation I was working for when I did this project was former military. So he got it. And he said, I wanted to make it look like we made it look like in the military. So you're in this grade, 
They're here for this long. What's it going to look like? And that was a success story. We used data from the calculator to build a scale. So it let people see them. He said, here's the path. Here's where you're going. Now they're going to be adjusted, you know, on a yearly basis for, you know, cost of labor changes and all that kind of stuff. But that was a success story. We used it to show people the path and it increases retention. It wasn't losing people after that anymore. And that helped. Now, what about any cautionary tales? Either an individual who didn't go in with eyes wide open or a flight department, love to hear about that. I think the cautionary tale kind of circles back to the argument I make to people who are operating the newer, sexier airplanes revolves around that instance that I mentioned where the high net worth individual flight department lost two people in very quick succession to wealthy individuals who had management company accounts that are willing to pay them a number that started with a three. And all I'm going to tell you is that if you are in any realm today, at any of the aircraft classes today, if you are paying people in the 50th percentile, you are accepting risk as to losing your people. So I say target the 75th. That way you stay ahead of the data. And that way you can tell your people you're staying ahead of the data and give them confidence you're trying to do the right thing. Now, in some cases, you could offset pay increases with quality of life guarantees. For example, another company I did work for has an on-call schedule, but their on-call schedule guarantees them 10 hard days off a month in succession. So they're on call for X amount of time and then they're off for X amount of time. So that, because that's a high quality of life, they were well ahead of like the 90th percentile for hard days off in, in all the surveys. So the quality of life they offered was outstanding. So that director, I said, you know what? You probably only need to target like the 60th percentile. You don't need to go all the way to 75th because you could tell your people, yes, you can go someplace and make more money, but tell me where else you're going to get 10 guaranteed hard days off a month, no matter what. And with that, he was able to make that case and it helped him. So that scenario right there, I think that's obviously really beneficial for the flight department, but also for the individual pilot who might go on and order a few reports. You're available to answer questions, review the comparative analysis with them, and then say for them, if, say if they're looking to make a change, hey, you should be targeting the 60% or the 70% or 75% analysis or pay band as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so there are some caveats to that. So for example, if, if you're going to change type in airplane, particularly if you're going to change class of airplane. So let's say I'm flying a 7X, which is like one of my favorite airplanes of all time, but somebody wants to hire me to fly a G650 or a G600, which is a class up from that. Basically, I think if the company is going to pay to type rate you and you're going to be of limited, while you've got a lot of experience with all the elements of flight, but your, your experience of that airplane is limited, I think you may have to look at something less than the 75th percentile for a while until you gain experience. But the company has to be pretty cautious there because once a person that's flying that kind of airplane gains about five, 600 hours, they, they become a commodity. So I think you have to set your expectations realistically and the people on the aviation manager side have to be observant. Having said all of that, one of the elements we're leaving out of this discussion because it's focused on money, but it's, it's very important, is the organizational culture of these companies that are doing the paying. It may be that you know, you've got a, a person in a leadership position who's just amazing who takes fantastic care of their people or a company that treats its people super well, certainly that plays into the occasion as well and or plays into the situation or the way you view what your current elements are as you make these sorts of decisions. And that's a big deal. But I will tell you, I have this little metaphor I use. It's the three-legged stool of retention. And one of them's compensation, one of them's organizational culture, one of them's quality of life. And it all sits on the, this foundation of leadership. Those elements are not stovepipe. They're not indiscreet in terms of you can get to a place compensation-wise where you start to think the company is taking advantage of you. And if you think the company is taking advantage of you, that's going to infect your view of the organizational culture. And 
infect is the right word there, not just affect, infect your view of the organizational culture and make you perhaps look on it in a different manner. But the organizational culture piece, the leadership piece, it's all extremely important. It all rolls up in together. But where the airline piece is concerned, oftentimes, if you've got somebody that's seriously considering the airlines, that is a almost like a different ball game because that's a lifestyle choice. It's not just money. It's about a lifestyle choice. And that's kind of a different conversation. It's absolutely a different conversation. I talk to pilots all the time, either some wanting to jump from business to airline, some saying, hey, thinking about leaving the airline, going back to business, right? And what we share with them is, hey, we're happy to chart the path and figure out what the financials are going to mean for you and your family. But at the end of the day, you've got to figure out your why, because the money is not the most important thing. It's important, but it's not the most important thing. So what else would you like folks to know about the Air Comp Calculator, how to use it, how to get in touch with you and use your services? Sure. Well, my website's aircompcalculator.com. Pretty easy to find. In the event they have questions before they even order reports, there's a number you can call or you can drop me an email and say, I'm not quite sure what I need. And I'll provide guidance on what might be the best course of action. And I was on the website myself, and you guys have a nice tutorial video showing folks, before you even sign up for anything, showing them how to use the report, what the inputs are, what it would show you, and things like that. So that's really useful. We'll make sure that your contact information, your website, is in the show notes. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about how you've helped change business aviation compensation from the wild, wild west, where folks can actually go in with eyes wide open and let the data inform their decisions. It's been a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thank you. And that was an awesome conversation with Dr. Broyhill. Now, this brings us to the analysis section. So the first thing I want you to think about is pay is rising in business aviation, but you don't have a union to negotiate for you. So you're going to have to use your resources. Know before you go. Be your own advocate. You've got the tools, right? If you're feeling like you're underpaid, you've got the tools to check it out. Go run a report. If you are interviewing for a new position and you're getting to the later stages of the interview where you're going to start discussing salary, run a report so you can go uh, and begin your negotiations with confidence. Number two, the second thing I want you to think about is as a business aviation pilot, you will not have the direct 17 to 18% 401k contribution like your airline friends do. You may have stock options, you may have bonuses, you may have performance pay instead, but The 17 to 8% non-elective 401k contribution is quite a lift when it comes to your retirement planning. So what this means is that you're going to have to be a bit more disciplined when thinking about saving for retirement, right? More is going to be on your shoulders as a business aviation pilot. The last thing that I want you to think about is know how much income your family needs to meet your goals and to have a little cushion on top of that before jumping for the next shiny thing. So Dr. Broyhill mentioned something that stood out to me. He said that some of the numbers that are skewing the data are from pilots working for ultra high net worth individuals, and they have the ability to pay whatever it takes to get crews for their jets. Now, I would imagine working in a flight department like that may put different demands on you than, say, working for a corporate flight department with many pilots and many aircraft. So by knowing how much income your family needs to meet your goals and be successful, That can help inform you whether or not, hey, you need to make a jump to get as much pay as possible, or can you make sacrifices and pay for other increases of of quality of life? 
right? So that just goes back to planning, knowing what you need to be successful, and then going with eyes wide open. So that's going to do it for this one. Thanks for following along. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for joining this episode of the Pilot Money Podcast. If you found this information helpful, spread the word and share it with a pilot buddy. Or if you have questions and there's something that you would like to hear discussed on the show, send us an email at pilotmoneypodcast at ceterrainvestors.com. That's C-E-T-E-R-A investors.com. For those of you who are ready to learn how we help professional pilots with their financial planning needs, schedule an appointment. The link is in the show notes. Until next time, keep the shiny side up and we'll see you on the next episode. Timothy Pope is a certified financial planner offering securities and insurance products offered through Satira Investment Services, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Satira Investment Advisors, LLC. Tim's branch office is located at 5277 Center Drive, Suite 330, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28217. Branch phone number 704-717-8900. The views depicted in this material are for information purposes only and are not necessarily those of Satara Investment Advisors. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information on the subjects covered. It is not, however, intended to provide specific legal, tax, or other professional advice. For specific professional assistance, the services of an appropriate professional should be sought.